0: Good morning, my name is David and today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him.
1: Thanks for that, David. Now, it's me again. You might be sick of seeing me and hearing me, but again, my name is Ryan and we, Pathway, are going to be exploring the theme of light and dark this Easter. So Palm Sunday, which is today, gives us just a tiny little glimpse of the light that is Jesus entering Jerusalem and giving the impression, at least to the Jews, that he will save them and restore them as a nation. Spoiler alert, by the way, only Jesus is murdered and in turn dashes all these hopes and dreams that the Jews had of Jesus as their King and Saviour. That's the dark bit, by the way, which, as I said before, we will go into deeply on Friday night, 5pm. Don't forget. <laughs> um, so it will be a rich and meaningful experience to be here on Friday. I don't think it's going to be all doom, gloomy and doomy and horrible. It will be good. And Sunday, it just makes the Sunday all the better. So. It's good. Um, So, Jesus' death on the cross is the darkness. However, the darkness lifts on Sunday morning. The light comes out in full force when the stone is rolled back and Jesus is raised back to life. So, we have life and death, we have hope and despair, we have light and dark. So, this morning we're going to talk about today. That is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. Now, I even had someone kindly go gather up some palm branches for this morning to have his decorations and stuff. The problem is, I didn't forget them, John. My dog decided he liked them a lot (laughs) and and decided to call them, actually mark them as his own. So, (laughs) needless to say, they've been burnt. So, anyway, this next week uh, between Palm Sunday today and Easter weekend is often called Holy Week or Passion Week and it is important to the Christian faith. And when I say it's important, I mean that in every sense of the word. So Jesus, knowing what's ahead, he voluntarily went to Jerusalem to be arrested, mocked, beaten, murdered on the cross, buried and raised back to life for the forgiveness of our sins. This is what the Christian faith is built on. So this week, not literally this week, but the week that we're celebrating is the biggest week the world has ever had, with the biggest, most important events to have ever happened and just because it happened some 2,000 years ago it doesn't mean it doesn't matter today it matters today it really really does so in this passage that we just read thanks David by the way well read it is easy to see that Jesus has quite the following Jesus has become more and more well known during the course of his ministry people had started to take notice of him his teachings and his miracles So you'll also see there's a guy by the name of Lazarus. He's mentioned here a few times. Jesus, just the day before today's story, raised this guy from the dead. Now, Lazarus' story is pretty famous, as he wasn't just dead for a minute or two, or even an hour or two, but for four days. The Bible even gives us nice little details, like there was a bad odour. Lazarus was dead long enough to become smelly. That's gross. Yet, Jesus raised him back to life in front of people's very eyes. Lazarus was well and truly alive and kicking, and the word of this spread like fire, which if you have your Bible handy, you can see in verse 11, 17 and 18. So all of this fueled the fire and excitement around Jesus a lot. So this Jesus guy was known by many Jews. These Jews knew that a saviour was promised in the prophecies and ancient texts. The Jews thought this saviour and king was going to free them from the Romans and restore them as a free nation once more. Not only that, but the hype around Passover was huge. It is so hard for us to culturally understand just how big of a deal it was for Jesus to come to Jerusalem at this time and in this way. Just the fact that Jesus rode a donkey into town was a statement. The ancient prophecies foretold of the Messiah doing just that that he was indeed the prophesied Messiah. They all hoped that he was. The fact, this and the fact it was Passover caused a frenzy in the Jews. And as you can see, much hatred from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the hyper-religious leaders of the day. So I'll do my best to cover a few of these things, to touch on a few of these things and more this morning. But today we remember the crazy day that it was when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey Today we remember the crowds of people praising his name and lining the roads with palm branches for their king. Today we remember the lamb voluntarily heading for slaughter. But before we go into this, a good place to start is prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you are heard here today. Guide our minds, guide our hearts, and may your truths and love be poured out here this morning. Help us to understand and apply your word and this story that we're unpacking just a little bit today. Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of hate. Both the Jews and the Pharisees had a very wrong picture of who Jesus is. The Pharisees saw Jesus as an upset to the establishment, as threat to their position in society, and an attention seeker that Rome would notice meaning that there could be a lot of trouble coming their way. And on the other hand, there was the Jews, the common folk. They saw Jesus as their new king, coming to conquer the Romans and liberate the Jewish people. Now, there are a bunch of reasons why the Jews thought Jesus was something he is not. The fact that Lazarus was raised from the dead is huge. Jesus was certainly well known for this, particularly in John's account, which we read today. That... And the Jews knew a prophesied Messiah was heading their, day one, their way one day, which actually was true and was actually Jesus. But they thought it meant a mighty, powerful king who would overthrow the Roman rule and he would conquer the nations and lead the people like a powerful king should. And the fact that it was Passover meant that many, many Jews were converging on Jerusalem to celebrate So that's why we see a huge crowd in this grand procession upon Jesus' arrival with palm branches and the cloaks shouting Hosanna. As a little sidebar, shouting the word Hosanna, like they did in this passage, may lead you, as it did me, to assumptions. So if, like me, it makes you think of shouts of praise and worship, then, like me, you'd just be a little bit off. So the word Hosanna used here directly translates to save us. The Jews put all their hope in Jesus as their Saviour. It sounds like a good thing, right? That's what we talk about here often. Trusting Jesus with your life, believing that He died for you, giving all of your life to serve and glorify Him. That's what we're about as Christians, right? How then did these people who believe that Jesus was their Saviour shout, Crucify Him, and send him, sentence Him to death just a week later? How does this huge shift happen? Jesus went from their king and saviour to criminal and scum, worthy in their eyes of the most cursed, cruel, horrible death imaginable, crucifixion. So they had preconceived ideas of who Jesus was, and what he was going to do, and how he was going to do it. And when these didn't match up with their ideas and plans, they just cast him aside in disappointment and thought of him as useless. Think of a time in your own life, when there was anticipation that led to immense disappointment. Perhaps you're among, among the many mad keen Star Wars fans that eagerly awaited for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace movie to come out, only to have your hopes and dreams dashed of an epic movie with, by was crushed by bad acting, a lame script and the ever-annoying Jar Jar Binks. Maybe your AFL team played hard and was neck and neck the, with the opposition all game You're up by three points when the opposition gets a mark, 65 metres out on the siren. You know that your team has it in the bag. There is no way that they're going to kick 65 metres for a goal. That is until your teammate walks through the mark, giving the opposition a 50 metre advantage. They kick the goal and you lose. That happened to me in grade 10. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps there is far deeper disappointment in your own life. Perhaps Mr. or Mrs. Perfect didn't turn out to be so perfect after all. Or that job that was going to be a launching pad into a new career ended up being a dead end with wasted years and time lost. These sorts of scenarios happen in our lives. Disappointment comes in big and small waves. I say this not to drag up past hurts and disappointment, but to just give a tiny picture of the sort of hopeful anticipation that the Jews put on Jesus. They thought that the Star Wars movie was going to be great. They thought they'd won the game of footy. They thought Mr. or Mrs. Perfect was indeed just that. They thought the job promotion was theirs. They thought the time had come and that they would be victorious. Now, unlike the movie, The Teammate, Mr. or Mrs. Perfect, all That Job, Jesus did not fail in his task. No way. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. The people had misguided expectations of what he would do for them and how he would fix all their problems for them as a nation. They were so desperate for Jesus to save them. Remember their cries of Hosanna? They were literally shouting, save us. There was so much hype and enthusiasm for Jesus in the triumphal entry. People had their own ideas of what Jesus was going to do and they were so excited. They wanted a king clothed in the finest robes, on a war horse with a sword leaving an army. They got Jesus sitting on a makeshift saddle made from clothes of the poor, on a donkey, with a band of uneducated followers. The Jews were hyped up in a frenzy and excited for what they thought Jesus was going to do. The Pharisees were arguably just as frenzied, but in a very different way. In the eyes of the Pharisees, they were losing their followers, the Jewish people, to some crazy man who blasphemes and teaches radically wild ideas. Not only that, but this Jesus guy was also stirring up crowds that would no doubt attract attention from the Romans. This was bad, bad news for the Pharisees. Their jobs would be in jeopardy, their status in the community was at stake, not to mention their way of life as an influential, powerful people. You can see throughout this passage their hatred toward Jesus. In verse 10, which is just before the passage we read this morning, they even decided that it wouldn't be enough to just kill Jesus. They also made plans to kill Lazarus as well. As having this guy who was dead, now walking around very much alive, thanks to Jesus' miracle, It's kind of problematic if you're trying to convince people that this Jesus guy is a fraud. Also, look at that last verse. It says, they saw the crowds and said to themselves, we're not getting anywhere here. There's clearly a sense of exasperation and desperation here. The Pharisees and the Jews had very different ideas of who Jesus should be. Both were wrong. So as we're playing around with the theme of light and dark this Easter, perhaps a useful analogy would be to think about is this. The Pharisees and the Jewish people wanted and saw Jesus as a light. This light was more like a torch for them. You know, it's pretty useful. It illuminates stuff if you point it at it. When in reality, Jesus is brighter and more powerful than the sun. It doesn't need it to be pointed at a particular thing to illuminate it. It just does. It just lights up everything because the sun shines everywhere. The people thought Jesus would only be useful if he was directed and steered to do a particular job. The Pharisees wanted someone to compliment them and their teaching, and the Jews wanted that king on a warhorse with a sword. The people wanted a torch they could use and control. What they got was an untamable, blazing sun. They just didn't know it yet. So the Jews are running around celebrating and brandishing this new torch called Jesus. They think it's a wonderful torch and they think this Jesus torch can help them out. They think it will light up the darkness enough and be a useful tool to point in the particular direction that they want to point it. It can be all too easy for us to think of Jesus like this. The useful imaginary friend who helps us when we need him. Like a torch, you don't need it until the power goes out. When things are going along okay, you know, life is good, family is well, financials are doing okay, we can pretty quickly put Jesus back in the cupboard like we do a torch when the power comes back on. Or perhaps your view of Jesus is like the Pharisees. Maybe Jesus is going to light up stuff that you ne- don't necessarily want him to light up. Maybe he's going to upset your way of life too much. Maybe you're caught thinking or saying things like this, I don't have time to go to church every Sunday. That's when local sports are on. That's my only day to sleep in. This Jesus guy is going to change my life too much. I don't want it. Perhaps you can relate to either or both of these ideas personally, or maybe you've seen it in other people before. Let's check out what the Bible says. So the book of Revelation, at the very end of your Bible, is full of crazy, crazy imagery. I did a little bit of digging and found these verses. I'll do my best to read them slowly. Take the time to imagine Jesus, the power and hugeness of him, untamable, burning brighter than the sun the first passages from revelation 1 and starting at verse 14 to 16 the hair on his head was white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like a blazing fire his feet were like the bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You know what it's like to turn on a light in a dark room, right? It's dazzling and hard to see. Your eyes take a while to adjust. That's just how John describes his hair. His eyes are blazing fire. That's easy enough to picture, I think. How about molten metal? Red hot, even white hot metal. Metals in this state are incredible to see. There's an intensity in it that's hard to describe. That's his feet. Who has ever seen a huge swell crashing over the rocks? The noise is incredible, the deep booming and rumbling and crashing that is constant and powerful. That's his voice. His face, it's like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. So Revelation 19 verse 11 to 12 says this, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. There's those blazing fire-filled eyes again. And then the last one, Revelation 22 verse 5. John is talking about heaven and doing his best to describe it, describe it to us. He says this about it. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So John, I feel, is just just trying his best to describe what heaven is to us and says that there will be no need for lights. There will be no darkness anymore because he, God, will be the light source. Where God is, there cannot be darkness. Jesus is untamable, powerful, far bigger than we can ever dare to dream or imagine. Yet he rides into town on a donkey, not to mention what happens to him on Friday. Now I'm afraid that part of the story is just going to have to wait until then. But if you can't possibly wait and suspense is really bugging you, see me afterwards. For now, let's get back to Jesus on the donkey and today's story. So who is Jesus to you? Is he a torch or a sun? Those passages we just read from Revelation paint Jesus a little more powerfully than some feeble light from a torch. His eyes are like a blazing fire. Light itself will come from him in heaven. Jesus is not someone that we can control and use how we like. Jesus is greater, more incredible and burns brighter than anything we know. So how do you see Jesus in your own life? Is he like a torch in a power outage? A useful thing to use on occasion to to light up things in your life that you want lit up. Or does the Jesus torch threaten to illuminate things that you do not want to see? Maybe you're hesitant to say Jesus is the light for fear of what it might mean for you. Perhaps it means tension in your family. Maybe it means changing the way of life that you enjoy but you know is wrong for something else. Perhaps your friends will think you've lost the plot. We have the light, that is Jesus, available to us now. Believing in Jesus' death and resurrection was for you and the forgiveness of all your sins is how we become children of light. Not children of a weak, pathetic torchlight or even a light that we think is going to make life miserable or boring, but children of God. A God whose eyes are like a blazing fire and his face as bright as the sun. A life seeking and following Jesus is so much more than navigating life by torchlight. And whatever it is you don't want Jesus to light up or change in your life, he has so much more to offer than you can ever imagine. This Easter, think deeply about how you see Jesus. Is he a torch that's handy in times of need? or a torch that threatens to illuminate things you do not want to see. Is my prayer that we can move another step away from the darkness and towards the light and begin to see more like this. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray. Lord, We are called to be children of the light. Help us to take you up on that offer and never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Lord, you have so much to offer. You love us more than we can ever, ever imagine. May you reveal yourself to us more and more as we seek after you as the all-powerful, untamable King of all. Particularly during this time of Easter, remembering and celebrating what you did for us on that cross and in the grave. We do not need to live life in the dark. You are victorious and you are good and we want the light of life you offer. Amen.